0: I keep trying to record podcasts. I can't do it unless I'm walking. But every time I'm doing it lately, my phone crops out and the recording stops. Ah, frustrating. Let's see if this works. People for some reason when it comes to spirituality, Try to do everything perfectly. And yes, some people are perfectionistic in life also. That's a whole other topic. But people want to do stuff correctly, right, in spirituality. Usually to get out of trouble. (laughs) Because at least in the West people often come or usually come to spirituality when they're in trouble with their marriage, with money, their kids or they want someone else to change, like my husband sucks, my wife sucks I wish my kids would stop taking drugs so they turn to spirituality I guess with this idea that there's some kind of magic wand magic solution that God will intervene on their troubles and make their life better, according to their brain, better, and forgetting that our troubles are our lessons, and they're not meant to be taken away. We might be um, able to get some help and guidance through them, like getting tennis lessons or skiing lessons, but we are meant to go through our troubles. That's part of the reason we came here. And evolution, growth, always is troublesome. Losing weight, getting muscles, going to school, going to work, learning to be a better parent. All of it has the days that you just cry and go, ah! And of course, becoming a couch potato or a drunk also has its troubles, even though it might feel better in the beginning way to escape or be distracted. And a lot of people turn spirituality into a religion, and a religion is where someone else tells you what to believe, what to do to conform to those beliefs, and usually promises you what you'll get. If you do what you're told to do and conform to the beliefs and the lifestyle. And then you will get saved, or more money, or your husband, wife, child will start to behave the way you think they should behave, etc. So how you come into spirituality has a lot to do with how you handle it, how you practice. and. Understanding that spirituality is, in fact, a practice. It's a lifestyle. We now use the words lifestyle for dieting because people finally, I guess, well, the money ran out on the promises of you do this diet, you'll lose weight. Now they're finally saying, if you do this diet and then change your lifestyle forever, (laughs) you will lose weight and keep the weight off meaning it's a lifestyle change and lifestyle changes by the way are very complex it doesn't mean you change one thing if you're doing something that has destructive results then there's a whole bunch of stuff underneath that and if that's not addressed you might stop doing one destructive result and you'll find another one until you get to the source of your anger or your grief or so, lifestyle changes are complex and they usually take a couple of years, which nobody in America likes to hear that. And maybe even in the East, it's like that now with all the technology and apps, etc. And one of the biggest issues with religions is that you're told how you should be behaving, and that if you were a good practitioner, this is how you would be behaving and feeling. And there is some truth to that. For example, if you lift weights, you'll get muscles. (laughs) You will. But taking steroids in order to get the muscles to then tell people you're lifting weights is backwards and destructive. A lot of American Buddhists that I've met, and also Wiccans, Christians, but I'm going to pick on American Buddhists right now. Buddhists, you're not supposed to get angry. You're supposed to be detached and calm and loving and compassionate. So you'll see a lot of American Buddhists with no boundaries, allowing very destructive people near them. They suppress or deny their anger and their rage. And they project an aura of calmness, whether they feel it or not. And what they're doing is outcome addiction like that's how i'm supposed to be well really what it how it works is that if you do the practices of buddhism and they fit you you will become less angry because in the process of doing the practices you will get in touch with your anger you will meet your anger you will have to feel your anger and then you will have to come through the other side of it and see where you are then and then one day you notice your anger is like way down or maybe even gone so the it's the practice that gets you there acting like you're already there doesn't get you there and that is the tricky part of religions is that somehow especially in the big religions like Crystal Cathedral Christianity and what's his name, Joel Osterman, I think it is, and Tammy Faye Baker and all those guys, you know, millions and millions of dollars, and they send money to our church and tithe to God, and things will get better. <laughs> uh, well, uh, take steroids, you'll get muscles. <laughs> you will, but there's it's not the real thing. And there's a lot of side effects to that. This is so... Pervasive in people. I used to give uh, recordings of my readings until people told me how much they'd listen to them again and again to try to do exactly what I said to get exactly the results they thought they should be getting. And oh my god, it's like that's not the purpose of recording the readings. The purpose is to get deeper and deeper insight into what you're learning, never mind the outcome learn first then you'll be different and a lot of times after you learn you don't want the outcome you started with so for example you go into spirituality because you want money and you do all your practices not follow the religion but do the practices and after a while you find out you don't give a crap about money It's just not that important anymore. So your original outcome addiction falls by the wayside. And that is really how spiritual practice works, is that it changes you from the inside out. And therefore your outcome addiction drops off because by the time you're changed, you don't want your original lust and greed for whatever outcome you're looking for. Peace, money, quiet, better sex, less drinking in your family, etc., So people would listen to recordings in order to make sure they were doing exactly what they were doing and look for the signs that they were getting what they wanted to get and why they had the reading in the first place. And I had to stop doing recordings because it was getting turned into cult material. (laughs) People get into spirituality typically these days um, when they're in trouble. That's the biggest number one thing. They're upset with someone or something in their life and they want it fixed. And they're willing to do anything to get it fixed the way they want it fixed and the outcome they want. That's how they join cults a lot of times. You know, the planet is filled with war and hunger and I want to fix that too. Another reason people come into spirituality is from usually a very young age but sometimes older they have visions or they have some kind of spiritual experience that's unusual or frightening or euphoric and they think they have been chosen or this means something and sometimes it does Uh, sometimes you have a brain chemistry imbalance and sometimes it is your unconscious trying to work out some issues that you are stuffing and not dealing with because, after all, you're a Buddhist or a Christian or New Age or the Ninth Dimensional Being, etc. Oh, I lost out There's my dogs. Okay. So, and the third type that seeks spirituality are people that, from a pretty young age, they don't really fit anywhere. They just things don't make sense to them or their outlook is just so different. Sometimes they're diagnosed as being on the spectrum of autism and sometimes they're just weirdos um, and and a minority in every kind of test that they take. So they seek out something that will make sense to them. And people often join spirituality too because one of the things they're is wrong in their life is they're lonely and religions are now just filled with love bombing and not just religions but the culture in general I mean to listen to a podcast and we love you we love our podcast people really you don't know me (laughs) you love that I love you and I love that you love me and yay we're all excited about that and it's a big party but I've seen plenty of new age people come on Hoshi. Plenty of new age people who, uh, when they get in real trouble, they're a fabulous, loving community. Come on, guys. Won't lift a finger to help them. And usually it's some quiet do-gooder who comes out of the closet and comes and helps them and has nothing to do with their their community, their group, etc. It's not always true, but a lot of times it is. But... Having a stranger tell you you're amazing and wonderful, be it your yoga teacher or a podcaster, I hope you realize that is not real love. It, it might be a sense of belonging and and a sense of joining the club, and my question to you would be, why do you need to join a club? Why aren't you your own club? And Yeah, you can join a club, but they don't have to shower you with, we love you, and we wouldn't be here without you, and we're here for you, and you don't have therapists doing that to their clients. That would be unethical. It's a professional relationship, and clubs are clubs. They're not family. They're not your best friend. And yes, there's exceptions in the members in the clubs. Absolutely. You might belong to a club, whether it's Christian or Wiccan or Buddhist, whatever. And it might make you feel really good. And that's great. And you might be really close friends with some people there. Nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that at all. And it goes back to, with everything we're doing, the how of what we're doing. Uh Big dogs. Okay. Okay. So instead of being fixated on how you're doing it perfectly, instead you might start to look at is this working for me? And Not so much the beliefs, like if someone tells you to believe something, Jesus came here to save you, Buddha is the only way. Um, Wiccan, you know, they call in the gods and goddesses to do their their work for the pagan priests and priestesses, and then they are sent home like they are servants. That always cracks me up. (laughs) I wouldn't even treat a person like that, never mind a spirit. How do you feel when you do a practice that is offered to you? And you need to pay attention to that instead of doing it blindly, numbly, high on drugs, checked out, just to get your outcome. And we want to be careful of the pendulum swing that goes on now, which is so many people here, they say. Oh, you have a new, she has a new vest on, and it's not working. So, so many people will say, if it feels toxic, you know, I'm not going to do it. It's not right. And other people will say, um, you know, it's got to feel absolutely good. It's got to give me results. I'm struggling with this harness. Hold on a second. There we go. you don't really know if something is toxic, good girl, you don't really know if something is toxic or it feels toxic because it's new to you. For example, if you're used to not being treated well and you go somewhere and someone is very kind and considerate to you, you might think they're coming on to you sexually and that's toxic and they're predators because you've never experienced a polite, considerate, sensitive human being around you before so when you're testing out practices if you haven't done any work on yourself first of all you'll never know if your brain is reacting your unconscious is speaking your wounds are speaking or if you are truly being helped or a practice is truly being beneficial to you In the beginning, you won't know it. What do you do about that? Hard to find good therapists these days. I'm not even sure how therapy works these days. Because last time I was in therapy was in the 70s. And it wasn't helpful. (laughs) But that's just me. My mother's a shrink, so I have a hard time being around therapists. One way is to start writing. Start writing about what's happening and what you really feel. And you're writing to spirit. Sometimes you're going to write to spirit that you hate spirit, too, which is okay. Spirit can take it. I remember my meditation teacher once said, Give me your hate. Don't put it on yourself. Give it to me. I can take it. And That was such a relief. I have somewhere to put this. Like, I don't know what to do with this stuff. So I would say before you get into any big spiritual practice, especially with a leader or a teacher, and I include myself in all of that, I can't tell you how many people have tried to turn me into their cult leader and literally found out when they spent less time with me, they were doing better because too much time with me, They were trying to uh, become my acolyte, I guess, and be what they thought I think every human being should be. And they were acting like cult members, and I refused to accept that. So we would have to go through a period of like prying their claws off and say, you know, go be free and then find out what you want to do. So in the beginning, it can be confusing and you can run into a lot of traps. So I always suggest start writing first. In writing, you can let everything come out and you can kind of learn who you are by what you write, especially if you know no one's going to see it. Now you're not people pleasing, you're not cult pleasing, you're not doing anything but finding out who you are. And in the beginning, when you're working with people, I would always take a very slow approach. Again, you don't know if this person is good for you, they might be good for you for a while. And good for you might mean they stir you up a lot, like they really bring up your stuff and you don't like it and it feels like crap. And then you have to, again, again, go back to writing and look at, are you getting abused? Are they taking your money? Are they trying to keep you around? Are they telling you to be a different person? Are they asking you questions that upset you? Well, that's a good thing, I think. If a question upsets you, then there's something you need to look at there. Are they... You know, we we say talk about consistency well life isn't very consistent especially not now so i don't look for consistency in fact when someone's consistent who's in a leadership position i pretty much count on the fact that they're giving me a public image because having been with my own teacher for like 35 years sometimes he's on sometimes he's off Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not great. I've seen him make mistakes, flub up, correct the mistakes, not correct them. I see his humanity. And that's one of the reasons I've trusted that path for so long is I see the humanity in it and I can live with the kind of person that he is. And in fact, it gave me permission to be human also while also working on a spiritual path. So I don't trust consistency. They're always happy. They're always kind. They never get mad. Bullshit. (laughs) There might be some exceptions to that. Um, I haven't met them. And if you read the stories about some of the gurus that were considered great, and as time went on we realized sexual abuse was going on, drug use was going on, all sorts of things. So I don't look for consistent. I look for flaws, because if I can see their flaws, that means they're comfortable with their flaws, they're okay being human, they're okay being imperfect, and you can usually talk to them about things, and, and sometimes they'll get mad at you. like. They'll just really get mad at you, and that's human too—not abusive, mad, not calling you names, not shaming you. But so many people have this uh, expectation of a stereotype of a spiritual teacher who talks like this, and they're always amazing, and they never get mad. And you know, it just goes on and on with a bunch of crap that they read in books of, you know, this is what spiritual leaders are like. And some of them are, particularly the ones who isolate themselves up in the Himalayas. Yeah, you bet. And you're looking at decades of practice, very little to do with the human race. Uh, maybe Thich Nhat Hanh was one of those folks, but he also knew he wanted to be a priest by the time he was 16. And I don't know if he had a temper. Uh, no bad reports have ever come out about him. He might be an exception. Sai Baba, who I love, we found out had a penchant for little boys. Rajneesh turned out to be cultish. Maharishi has complaints against him, etc. So I prefer to work with people where you can see their faults. They're not consistent. They make mistakes, and they're comfortable with themselves. Good girl in making those mistakes. And they're like, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's me. Yep, could have done that better. That's what I trust. So writing. Going slow, not looking for feel good, not looking for fast answers. And in fact, what I always look for is, does this person make me think? If they have a story, I'm I'm out the door. I mean, in the 70s, there was one advertising company, Jay Peterman had a catalog. And we used to make fun of it because it always had a story. And I got the catalog just to get the story. It would always be about how he went down the Nile or the Amazon and he landed, you know, there's a storm and he landed at the feet of a shaman who took him in. And the shaman gave him this robe and told him he could replicate it. So now he's made three of them and you can buy them for $1,500. And it was made fun of on Jerry Seinfeld's show. It was hysterical. But now everybody has it. And I have people come to me and say, oh, here's an app and it's from the ninth dimensional being and I have to listen to 45 minutes of a story. And then it's, I'm supposed to buy that. <laughs> buy the story. What am I, an idiot? <laughs> so again, my preference is somebody who takes the approach of try it, See what it does for you. Tell me about it later. Tell me what it does for you. This is how I like to teach crystals, by the way. Hold a crystal. What does it do for you? What happens? That's how I buy crystals. So I have a lot of crystals. I don't even know what they are. I just know what they do for me. I know what their relationship is to me. I know how they talk to me, etc. And if you really want to know what they're supposed to do, then you can look it up in a book afterwards and see if there's a match or not. That's how I like to approach spirituality. I'm going to try it. I'm going to see what it does. And I'm going to see how it starts to change my life. And I'm going to take that slow, too, because maybe at first I'm going to get more angry. But then through my writing, I find out I have been really angry for a long time, and I didn't know it. Come on, Hosh. And now this is getting revealed to me. And I also notice I am sleeping better or sleeping more. And then I also notice that uh, some of my friends seem really obnoxious now, because now I'm allowing myself to feel anger. <whistles> Hoshi, come on. So there's a lot of observation, what we could call mindfulness. And most people, until they are trained in mindfulness, can't be mindful. But one of the ways you can is journal. Journal, 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 journal. I started journaling it late. 17 I think right when I turned 17 for decades don't do so much of it now it's a tool not needing it all the time but I still do it but not uh, as much as I used to do it if you find yourself trying to do something perfectly the meditation the mudras the brocades, etc. Now that's different than trying to do your best. I would back off from that and go back to some writing, because if I'm doing it perfectly, that means I'm expecting the result, a measurable result of some kind. and usually it's unconscious, but usually there's a, there's a candy bar I want to get at the end of this. Hoshi, come on, Ready? Hoshi, come. Pia, I don't have to tell her to come. She's so good. Come on, come, come. Let's go. Hoshi is so bad. I had to buy her a harness and put a tag on it, a reflective harness, because the other day we went for a walk. She stayed so far behind, she got lost, and she turned around, thank God, and went back to the car and waited for me. But if someone had picked her up, she's not chipped yet. So she is now labeled (laughs) and does not behave the best. She's learning. Come on. The other thing that I do is I try something and then I stop it and see if there's a difference. I do this with supplements to this day. I try everything before I recommend it if I haven't tried it. I won't recommend it or I'll say I've heard, but I don't know. So I'll take glucosamine, chondroitin, oh, that's great for arthritis. Never did crap for me, never did anything for my horses. Years later, research comes out, it doesn't work for horses. Oh, I had a vet disown me because of that research. But that's how I like to try things. So meditate with a crystal, then meditate without the crystal. Do a certain kind of meditation. Do it for a week. Stop doing it. And again, you're writing. What happened? What, what happens when I do it? What happens when I don't do it? Also notice, like if there's a big change, did you get fired from your job that week? That might be why you're feeling bad. It has nothing to do with the meditation or the non-meditation. <laughs> so you want to start being very mindful of what's working, how it's working, Maybe it isn't working. Maybe it is working. Maybe it just feels bad. Like you want to become a scientist, curious, 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 learning, learning, learning. Try one form of meditation, do it for a month, journal. Try another form of meditation, do it for a month, journal. And then follow your intuition on that. And I'm always praying, please help me for my highest good. I'm not praying, please help me get what I want. <laughs> I, don't, I will say I want this, but I'm always praying for help me for my highest good, not forgetting what I think I want because what I think I want right now is coming from my little kid brain or my hurt brain, etc. This attitude of curiosity can really be a benefit to you in life in general also. In other words, when people, I used to work on a psychic hotline. Oh, what a nightmare. Talk about outcome addicts. It was, there's like groupies that hang around psychic lines and always the same people. And the psychic lines, you know, tell you to cultivate your clients and send them follow-ups and and get a following. And all they're calling for over and over is, am I going to get what I want? Am I going to get what I want? Am I going to get what I want? Now. I don't mind that if you're about to lose your house, have a divorce, go into surgery and you're scared. I get it. But to do this month after month after month with no question of what am I learning? What am I learning? What am I learning? Oh, this is the sixth boyfriend you've called about. You've gone through five others. There's no curiosity about what have I learned so far? Why do I keep going for the same kind of person? So. Needing to get an answer in desperate times, I totally get it. But eventually you want to get more to the place of curiosity. What's this? What am I learning? How's it going? Do I like it? Do I not like it? What's fun? What's not fun? Two years later, what's fun? What's not fun? Because we keep changing, we keep evolving. So start learning. By learning to be curious about yourself can bleed into being curious about life around you. It therefore helps you to listen to others because now you're curious. Like some people ask me how I can be friends or friendly with people who are racist or anti-gay and uh, support the Trump agenda and I'm curious about them. I want to learn how they get there. What kind of people are they? Why is this happening? Who are they? And it makes me look at my own choices and my own beliefs and it keeps me more central and balanced rather than extremist Curiosity when you cultivate it with yourself and it bleeds into your life Helps you to get more detached because your first reaction after all becomes what's this instead of oh shit I'm triggered. Not to say that still won't happen. We're human, but it will happen a lot less. And learning will be a lot more. No, Hoshi, come. Come, come. Good dog. Very good. Big dog on a leash. She didn't go there. Yahoo! This way. Good dog. It also then means that at work, instead of trying to do everything perfectly, and now you can become sort of a slave to your job, you can be more curious about when you try to do what they tell you to do, the way they tell you to do it. How's that feel? Is this a good job for you? Do you need to keep looking around? Do you need to find another way? Come on, Hoshi. Hoshi. Come on. Hoshi. Oh, she's such a pain. (laughs) So curiosity keeps us in touch with self-care. Because if we're more curious about what's going on, rather than trying to fit the perfectionism version of it, then there's less chance of us staying in a dysfunctional situation for years and years and years, because you're too aware of it. And if you do end up in a dysfunctional situation, instead of trying to get away from it, you're gonna be more invested in learning what it's there to teach you. Because bad things happen to us, not to punish us, but so we are challenged and we grow. And after a while, that bad thing isn't a bad thing anymore. It's just a thing that happened and we learn from it. You don't want to go to the other extreme, you know, of this, of everything's okay the way it is and everything is meant to be and this kind of whitewashing, applying slogans. There's no curiosity there. That's just another end of the spectrum. Uh, I want to do everything perfectly spectrum the other end is everything is perfect just the way it is and I hear people say it all happens the way it's supposed to they don't say that to someone when they have cancer they say that when everything is going well or sometimes they say it when there's a disaster on the horizon and I always experience that as I don't want to talk about it I don't want to feel it with you. I don't want to go through this with you. So I'm just going to slap a slogan on you, which is, it's all meant to be and it'll all work out for the highest good. Ugh, wow. I experience that as violence. I would rather get slapped in the face and told, don't tell me about your problems, than get that crap slathered all over me in the name of, I'm a good person who cares. If you find yourself doing everything perfectly and you're a little OCD about it, and there's lots of people like that right now. I do believe it has to do with um, environmental toxicity, new research that not so new for many of us, but that plastics, nanoplastics are showing up in the bloodstream, chemicals for laundry soap, makeup, detergent, deodorant, floor cleaning products, all these things uh, act as xenoestrogens. So we're getting over-estrogenated. Young boys can't get hard-on. They need Viagra at like 11 now. Girls are menstruating earlier and earlier. So this toxicity produces signs of what look like mental health issues. And I've said this before, clean up people's bodies, and most of the time their mental health issues go away. Sometimes they don't, but most of the time they do. But... um, here's the thing with that also, that requires a lifestyle change. And some people, if they've grown up poisoned and they're perfectionistic and they're a little OCD, are very uncomfortable not being that way. It's like, now what do I do with my free time? And what do I do with my anxiety and what do I do with all my feelings that I wasn't feeling before because I was poisoned it's like getting sober but you're getting sober from toxins instead of alcohol or drugs but let's say that uh, you are cleaning up in your body and you're trying to get a little bit less of I'm going to do everything perfectly you can desensitize yourself a little bit by picking some safe things that you don't do perfectly and mess up a really funny, cheap way to do it is go to the dollar store and buy some dishes or glasses and let them break. Um, Try dancing at home and screwing up. Try doing yoga at home and, and not doing it right, but do it funny. Watch some physical comedy movies. Watch people fail and laugh and do slapstick and laugh. And maybe you can even try the moves yourself. In other words, we can practice in little baby steps being not perfect, just to see how that feels. And also, come into a new pattern spirituality is a bunch of practices not a bunch of beliefs and through those practices you will formulate your own beliefs and some of those will match up with a teacher or a community they might match up perfectly they might match up in part and that's okay if you need a community Plenty of people who study with my teacher who stay Christian, or they work with another teacher and they use the practices of my teacher, but they are part of. They are part of something else, and that's completely fine. It's totally acceptable. Finding, I want to say, how the clothes fit, how the shoes fit come come. To me, that's the most important. If you study with a teacher, try taking a break. Does it help? Does it not help? Maybe it's not the right time to leave. Maybe it is. Find out. And you should have a community and a teacher that's completely okay with that. Mix it up. Have it be different. But most of all, Keep writing from the beginning until you start to notice and be mindful of what you're perceiving and feeling and the stories you're telling yourself about what you're feeling. So you can find out if it's your wounded self-talking, more and more evolved perspective coming that. Some people are really physical myself. So even while journaling, most of my heart is on long distance running, getting into that zone, jogging, not 25 miles, but, you know, 6 miles in the country, and some meetings to get straightened out. So there are more. Long- questions can so you go deeper, or determine what you think you've learned, but the teacher is not the practice, the think is a teacher, that's like going to the gym and getting a lecture from the trainer and going home, no, you got to do the workout, wait, if you ever work with a personal trainer, they're always going to ask you, you know, is this working for you, is it not working for you, how are you feeling? You're going to look at the getting results that y'all were aiming for, which is a little bit different between personal training and working on your health. and You are looking for outcomes. Absolutely. Ready? Welcome. Come. No, no. Come here. Come here. Come here. Hoshi, come here. Very bad. Come here. No street. No street. Bad. That was a hard time. All right, you guys, you ready. Come, come. Go get the squirrel. Come on. This way. Come on. I wish I could do these podcasts sitting down, but my brain doesn't work. I don't have any sleep, Thank you for putting up with job and Another thing, in the beginning, i would be really careful about who I talk to about my spiritual practice. Because everybody thinks they have something to say about that. Instead, I would be asking a lot of questions of someone about their spiritual practice. I want to know what they're doing, not the story. And listen to them. Some of the people, but they didn't say, yeah, I know I was meditating at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I was doing my prayers at 10 o'clock. And this came to me. I have people who will say things to me. Uh, I'm writing again, which means that after an eight-month hiatus, they wrote one day. <laughs> Actually, Dr. Still talks about this, a lot of how to listen to people and find out how much they're leaving out rather than how much they're saying. Come here, Hoshi. Out of street. No street. Hoshi. No street. Come here. No street. No street. Go over here. Good girl. Good. Good very good. Or people who will say, I'm drinking less. Well, you've been saying that for five years. That must mean you're not drinking at all anymore. But the fact they're saying they're drinking less means they're still drinking, but they're trying to impress themselves and me. So be careful who you talk to and who you share with. There's a lot of people out there these days who want to be wonderful or teachers or know-it-alls. No. What you'll find out more is that they kind of want to get into your pants, your spiritual pants, rather than learn about you. For real. Want a drink? Come on. We're in the car. And miniature drinking cup. Oops. Come on. Doing everything right. If you can just begin to catch when you have that agenda, I would say that's a good start, just catching that. And then you might still continue to do it, but maybe a little more gently, a little less hard on yourself, a little less perfectionistic, a little less OCD about it. If you're with somebody, who says you have to do it exactly this way, okay. Pia, I see that dog here. Wanna drink? Okay, oh, she's guarding. Okay, good guarding. Okay, watch out for my Rottweilers. <laughs> okay, so if they tell you how to do it I would say, no harm, no foul. You know, try it exactly the way they say. And see their reaction to your try. See what they do if you don't get it right. And sometimes you have to do something exactly in order to see, especially physically, for example, to see what the results are. But in my opinion any really good practice. Once you do it exactly, then you have to tweak it to make it yours. And that should be not only allowed, but encouraged. I remember watching, okay, okay, uh, some choreography my sister did. And she's working with dancers and we watched the progression of the rehearsals and she changed the choreography. She said the dancer just couldn't do it. So we had to change it to fit the dancer's body and still get the message across and the artistic vision of the choreographer uh, to still work. And to me that was pure artistry, which is you have a vision, you have an idea, And then you're working with real people under real circumstances. And that's going to affect the details of how things are done. The same thing with the diet, the same thing with meditation, the same thing with exercise. It's got to be tweaked. So you might learn what is considered the standard of perfection at first. But then given your body, your body type, your lifestyle, your stamina, your age, so many things. They're not tweaking it for optimum benefit. They're tweaking it for optimum comfort. The least amount of challenge, the least amount of scare, uh, least amount of discomfort. So in the middle, there are 10,000 shades of gray and balance that you can find. To work with people who embrace non perfection as perfection. That doesn't mean you let everybody off the hook for every single thing. I know, P, I see that dog. I see it. I got it. Good girl. (laughs) expected to figure a lot of it out on my own, go home and practice, see how it works, and to be able to have someone to discuss that with. I did this, it went this way, I'm not sure, what do you think about this, what do you think about that? But that's me. If you start to put some of these changes into place and find they're not working, and you find you're still kind of perfectionistic and kind of OCD and controlling and all the other good stuff then yeah you might want to look into cleaning up your body Uh, that can be absolutely a psychological disorder but i find more often than not it's a result of toxicity if you find yourself on the lazy end of life not Mm -hmm. doing too much again i would turn to toxicity first and see how that works In some cases, very few, but in some cases for people who are really suffering and can't seem to get it together to make any kind of lifestyle change, medication might be needed maybe for a year or two. But I will also point out that we probably have the highest percentage of population in the world that is currently medicated and have not on prescription medication, on black market drugs, which are now dangerous because of fentanyl, but also sugar, shopping, eating, scrolling, etc. But be curious. Try stuff. Don't give up. If you can get a reading from someone who's not afraid of talking about reality, so, for example, Eastern readers, no problem in saying, this part's going to be hard, this is going to be rough, here's how you get through it, that will help you distinguish between whether the path is really hard, or you are making life harder on yourself by some of your choices. And that's a very hard distinction to make, and very hard these days to find readers that will talk to you about those things. And people get scared when they hear it, oh, you're going to have a rough year, now they're in terror. And now, very often, that makes them try to do everything right so that it'll be less terrible. But if I told you you were on a road with a lot of potholes, there's nothing to be scared of. You're just going to go a lot slower and pay a lot more attention. And if the scenery's going to be great, it's worth the potholes. On a real spiritual path, the great mysteries take a while to learn you think you're coming into something and you know and you can take a workshop and now you can handle the energies and now you talk to your ancestors, etc. I have yet to find that to be really true. What I find is that when you have a strong foundation, being able to work with energies and other dimensions and messages coming from non-humans, you have to have a very, very strong foundation so you can hold those energies. They're huge. And you have to have a strong foundation so your mind doesn't get in the middle of it all and make up a whole story about everything. So for those of you who like to do spirituality for fun, that's one journey. And for those of you who want to be on a path, that's a lifestyle. And there's no rush. There's just... It's like being on a vacation, like every day is going to bring something new and wonderful and isn't that cool and exciting, as opposed to, are we there yet, are we there yet, are we there yet? And you get to do it either way, it's up to you. Hopefully you know which way you're choosing, hopefully you are not mistaking a spiritual path with a workshop with a lot of love bombing and instant outcomes. Those are two different things. Come here, Hosha, why aren't you getting out of the Good girl. I hope this helps. My phone didn't crap out this time, that was good. And I hope to see you at Life Path Healings.